the parable of the lost son, or as many of you grew up hearing, the parable of the prodigal son. It's really a parable of two lost sons, or maybe even more importantly, uh, the parable of the father. Uh, So all these come in, we're going to call it for sake of sort of uh, unity, because Luke positions this with the lost sheep, right? The, the man goes and he goes to find one sheep. He leaves 99. Uh, the woman loses one of nine coins and she searches for it. And right in connection in this grouping, you have uh, two sons and one of those is lost. Really, we'll see by the end of the parable that both are lost. One is found and we're not sure about the second. Jesus' best known parable but probably also the most misunderstood. Remember, parables are about contrast. We're intended to see these characters, typically one key authority, two contrasting subordinates. So it's sort of structured like a triangle. So in the case of the shepherd, he's got 100 sheep. You have the one over here, the 99. Uh, The woman, she has 10 coins. One is lost, nine over here. Here you have a father, you have two sons. That's where the contrast is meant to be seen. You have a younger brother and the older brother. If we fail to contrast the sons, we will fail to see the plain truth hidden before our eyes. What we often do, there's really three parts to this. There is the sons run away and return the father's reception or the reconciliation. And a lot of times we end there because we like happy endings, but there's a whole nother part three, and that is the older brother standing outside refusing to go into the house and celebrate. You've got to get to that point because if we fail to contrast who? The two sons, the two brothers, we miss the point of the parable. Arland Holkren observes, what is so striking in the father's dealing with each of the sons is that he extends unconditional love prior to repentance. Indeed, even apart from repentance on the part of either son. You'll see this. Both sons are abusive to the father. There is no hero in the story except for the father. I've chosen this particular parable, the prodigal son or the lost son, to consider before our observance of the Lord's Supper because it shines light on the central and beautiful message of Jesus Christ. The hope of salvation, the gospel of grace, the forgiveness of sin with all of its guilt and shame. So what is Jesus teaching through this parable? First, and the most obvious, everybody reads this and identifies with the first son. He moves away and he's able to return Okay, so here's the truth. I mean, we're just going to hit the big idea right up front with the first son. No matter how far a sinner willingly runs away and dishonors the father, he can what? Or she can what? She can return. He can return. Second, and often more subtle, is the second son. The distance and the disrespect and the eventual rebuke of the older brother towards the end of the parable. What is Jesus teaching through this? Because up to this point, our our attention has been fixated on the lost son. We have failed to see the abusive behavior of the son who remained at home. 
We've actually admired the older son in our version of the lost son. And why have we admired him? Probably because we are most like him. We're most like the older brother. Third, and perhaps the most overlooked point, is the character and patience of the father towards who? Both sons. We're going to see that. That was one of the beautiful points of this parable. So this parable is unique to Luke. That means only Luke records it in his record of the Gospels. You will not come across this parable in Matthew, Mark, or John. He places it right in the context of the lost coin and the lost sheep. So now we have a lost son. Let's look at the first part. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he, Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, normally a person's property would be transferred at death. So basically what the younger son is saying is, Dad, you are dead to me. I care more about stuff than I care about you. I want wealth and blessings more than relationship. Okay, the proof? Keep reading. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Can you imagine the father's pain? There is a geographical and a psychological distancing by the younger son. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This is very interesting. This is the path we most recognize with sinful people from prostitutes to pigs. See, the first son is easy to condemn. Remember that. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, now, what follows is what's going on in his mind. He's sort of creating this picture of what's about to happen. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm going to pack my things and go what? Go home. Because a true home is about relationships. So he's going to pack up and he's going to go to the Father. You're going to start to see here now the glimpses of true biblical repentance. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Isn't that what repentance is? To say the same thing about your sin, your choices, your condition that God says about your sin and choices and condition. Verse 19, I am, I love this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's humility, restitution, and a willingness to pay back what was wasted. And he arose, I love verse 20, the first part, and he arose and came to his father. Okay, so what's the big idea of that part one? The younger son always had the option of repenting and returning home. So do all sinners. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be what? Saved. The son's departure and return bring us to part two. This is 
This is the Father's welcome. Look at the second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now don't speed through that because what Jesus is teaching you through this second part of the parable is the constant character of God. Verse 21. The father is looking. He's waiting and interestingly, there's already a fatted calf for, for what feast? Well, it doesn't tell us, but it's waiting there for a feast that it's like the father knows is going to happen. Look at verse 21. Okay, so remember, so here's the picture. The son coming from a distance. The father can typically tell from a long ways off who his children are. He sees his son. He's probably been looking every single day. On this particular day, he sees his son afar off. He runs to him, embraces him, and kisses him. Can you imagine the stench? You know what? Fathers don't care. When there's reconciliation, a father doesn't care how you're dressed or what you look like or what you smell like. Complete Unconditional reconciliation. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see what he, what he sort of uh, planned in his mind all the way back in the foreign country? He held to true biblical repentance. It stuck. He says what he said he was going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Son is basically saying, I'll be a servant. I'll earn my way back. But the father extends grace and says this, you're in. You're already in. You're my son. How do we know that? Because the robe, the ring, the shoes, and the fatted calf. Look at verse 22. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Remember, the father represents who? God. No matter how far you've traveled from God, no matter how much you've dishonored God, He will graciously give you the full right of sonship in Christ. A robe, a ring, shoes, and a feast of celebration. So, so what? So what about part two? How does that apply to us right now? Even as the Father received the lost Son, so also God will receive those who turn to Him, however undeserving they may be. And that's where many people stop. And if we stop there, it's a happy story. Or a sad story with at least a happy ending, right? And almost always people think of part one and part two, the younger brother's rebellion and restoration. And though that's an amazing truth, it's not all the truth of the passage. There's a part three. And part three is sort of going to turn right side up everything you've thought about how to approach the father. Look at Act three. Look at verse 25. Part three. Now his older son was in the field, 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the servant, to the brother, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Now notice the parallel. The father sees the younger son a long ways off and runs out to him. And now he notices the older brother is not in the house and he comes out and he entreats him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, little derogatory, not my brother, not your son, This son of yours, when he comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, notice the father's response, look at verse 31. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother's response is startling. He's basically saying this, if I could sort of paraphrase. Dad, listen to me. I've attended church. I've been moral. I've never embarrassed you by my decisions in the religious community. I've had a good work ethic. I've dressed up for church activities. I've not used profanity, not attended R-rated movies. I've raised moral children and sent them to conservative colleges. And this is how you, the father, respond? By accepting a sinner? You even killed the fattened calf for him. You've thrown a party for him. What is the older son accusing the father of? He is accusing the father of being unjust. Unfair. And we do that too, don't we? This son of yours, relational distance, sinful condescension. He doesn't even acknowledge being in the same family with him. What the older brother failed to realize is that this was a very special day for the father. This clashed with how religious Jews thought righteousness was achieved. Look back at the beginning. I purposely waited to get the larger context until now. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Okay, Don't miss that. There was something attractional about Jesus who was full of grace and full of truth. And these people, the sinners, the the tax collectors, they wanted to be with him. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, listen to this accusation, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That then is the springboard for this trilogy, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Look at verse 3. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. Who is he telling it to? 
Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, hiding under their robes and their religious vocabulary. And he said, what man of you? What Pharisee, what scribe, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, meaning they're safe, and go after one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Rejoice with me, scribes and Pharisees, that sinners are being saved. Or, look at verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then following that parable, he tells the parable of the lost son, And all of a sudden, this older brother is standing outside the house saying, I will not go in and rejoice over what was lost and found. The older brother is a picture of the critical and judgmental religious leaders who refuse to rejoice that the Son of God eats with sinners and saves them. Look at what the father told the older son again in verse 31. All that is mine is yours. Most likely the way inheritances were divided then, it would have been about two-thirds of the father's property that belonged to the older son. But the older son criticizes the father and wants his stuff just like the younger son wanted his stuff without the relationship. The older son cares about things, not the father. He cares about the estate and about the inheritance. But he does not care about the younger brother, and he obviously now does not even care about the father. And so he stands outside. Jesus is pleading in this parable with the religious leaders to come inside in relationship and rejoice. Both sons wanted the blessings of the father without the father. The first son wanted independence, fleshly satisfaction, and the family inheritance prematurely. The second son wants reputation, honor, and the family inheritance done legally. Both sons wanted their own way, not the father's way. Both sons were abusive towards the father. Jesus is saying this, both sons are lost. Do you know you can be alienated to the Father even though you draw near to Him with your lips? Sing songs to Him? Sing songs about Him? Sometimes the son who obeys all the moral rules is just as lost as the son who ran away. You can almost hear the scribes and the Pharisees gasp, right? Because the first one were like, yeah, we would seek a sheep. Yeah, we'd seek a coin. Why did you have to bring the older brother into this? Like that, that hurts. You know, God doesn't want just good people. He wants, he wants people who are born again, totally transformed by His grace. 
It's neither morality nor immorality, neither religion nor irreligion, neither right actions or wrong actions. It all comes back to a relationship with the Father. Here's the point. Even as the older brother should not have resented his brother's salvation or reinstatement as a son, but rather rejoiced in it, so those who claim to be God's children should not be disappointed that heinous sinners are invited into the household. Jesus ends the story without a resolution. Why would a master storyteller like Jesus just abruptly stop? It's for effect. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to see the contrast. He wants you to notice that something is missing. He wants you to compare and contrast the two brothers, not judge the one and excuse the other. Oh, I understand why the older brother's upset. I'd be under, I, you know, I'd be upset. No, he doesn't want you to fall into condemnation on either. First, the love of God is overwhelmingly and unconditional towards both sons. Second, we need to learn to repent of our sins and our self-righteousness, which we so often fail to see as a sin. The younger brother, he's easy to condemn. And when he returns, we're like, that's it. That's how you get right with God. The older brother, he's standing outside and we're like, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit like him. No, we are like him. That's the problem. And the father comes out and entreats you to come inside. And the story ends with him outside. There's still hope. There's still hope that he submitted and honored the father like the first son eventually did. The father seeks the younger son in his sin. The father seeks the older son in the midst of his self-righteousness. Both are missions to save. In the first part, the wayward son, we get a traditional view of sin. The rebellious, the obvious path to self-pleasure, and the return. In the third part, the, the, the older brother, we get a traditional view of blindness. We don't see the need. We don't see the sin. We think we're okay because, Dad, my whole life I've been right here singing to you and giving to you and serving you. In the second part, we get a consistent view of God's character. The Father is loving. He did not pout or manipulate or become passive-aggressive. Or send out a search party to punish the son. He doesn't even punish the older son. At this point. And I believe there are younger brothers represented by our families here at Highlands. And there are older brothers represented by our families here at Highlands. Here's the invitation. Before we go to the table. Younger brothers. Younger sisters. Come home. The Father's still there. The Father's still waiting. He didn't move an address. He's not hiding from you. Come home. Older brothers, older sisters, come inside. Abandon your self-righteousness. Abandon your critical condescension. Abandon your dishonoring of the Father even though your proximity is closer. Come inside. That's the invitation. And it's a beautiful invitation of God's grace. Have you run away from God? Come home. Do you believe you're close to God because of your own righteousness? Come inside. Let's pray.